Hey guys, welcome to another awesome episode of The Unlikely Journey. This is Stephen Kwong, along with Natalise, Leah Robinson, and Jess Furman. Natalise, we have a very special guest this morning. Can you please do us the wonderful intro? Absolutely. So I am so excited to welcome Nell Derek Debevoise to the podcast today. Um, you know, Nell is a passionate entrepreneur. She's a speaker. She's an author who is the co-founder and CEO of Purposeful Growth Institute and a partner at Purpose Fused. Uh, Nell has studied at some of the world's top universities from Harvard and Columbia to Cambridge and London Business School. Uh, she's lived and worked in the private, public, and for-profit sectors on four continents. Uh, she's supported refugees in the Middle East, taught corporate executives in New York about stakeholder capitalism, and even mediated between Turkish and Cypriot officials. Uh, recently, Nell published a book called Going First, Courage, Purpose, and Action. It's an inspiring read for anyone who wants to make an impact in their career. Um, lastly, I will say that Nell is just an awesome human being um, who's super curious and smart and adventurous. Uh, Nell, I think you speak like 13 languages or something crazy like that. <laughs> um, and she certainly inspired me to think about a career that is just as much uh, for good as it is for profit. Um, so with that, Nell, why don't you take us through, just tell our audience a little bit about you. Flattered, Natalie. That was way too kind. Thank you. And just to make sure that I don't get any calls for translation, I speak five languages like, okay. So <laughs> that's largely a result of living abroad and dating abroad. That's my biggest life hack is if you want to learn a language, just date somebody who speaks that language. Now, I'm going to have to burst that. your bubble here. I'm going to have to burst your bubble. <laughs> the The minimum requirement to be on this show is seven languages. So you're too short. Shoot. Did we just yeah. hang up? Shoot. No, 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 no. Uh, but seriously, uber, uber impressive. So I think Natalise is right. Please tell us about yourself. But more yeah. importantly, what are you doing on this podcast? Tell us. Get us excited. <laughs> well, I'm here because The Unlikely Journey is probably as apt a book title for my memoir when it comes out as any, um, firstly. Secondly, I think Natalise is just uh, an absolutely beautiful human being in every way since I was able to be part of her career journey, as she mentioned, um, when she was an MBA fellow for my company. Uh, gosh, Natalise, I think we're coming on 10 years ago. Um, no, it was not think, 10 years ago. No, it was like seven, uh, seven years ago. Seven? Yeah. Okay, that rounds yeah. up to 10. Just saying. You're <laughs> yeah, the MBA, okay. but just saying. <laughs> <laughs> so my unlikely journey, I, I promise I won't go month by month, but I'm going to bring us back to when I was 12. And I was a sixth grader, very proud, nerdy little sixth grader at this great urban public elementary school. And now this school was everything that I and I think a lot of fellow Americans like to think of as great public American education, right? We walked to school. It was this old brick building. We had very involved parents. There was band and there was a Mayfair and, you know, all of these great things. By the way, in retrospect, it was wildly diverse in terms of race, but also socioeconomic status. And some of the dads were stay-at-home dads and some of the moms worked. It was just a very cool community. But the public school that I and my classmates were zoned to go to was not. It was a hot mess. Uh, if you watch the show The Wire, this was very much Hartford's version of Baltimore at that time. It was just gangs and drugs. I mean, the conditions were horrible to say nothing of the education not being top-notch in any way, academic or, or otherwise. 
And so my parents were, you know, kind of solidly middle-class, not that we were flush with cash, but they had the wherewithal to know that that was not going to be a good plan. And so they sort of gave me the option as a precocious, annoying 12-year-old that I was, whether I would go to private school at that point in seventh grade, or we would move over a town line into a leafy green suburb with great public schools. So I went to a few private schools and I just, I really didn't like the vibe. There were uniforms at some of them. It felt weird. Um, And so I said, you know, in my 12-year-old economics, why don't you just buy a new house and we'll move over the town line? So you know, turns out they had to scramble a little bit for that as well. But they did it and we moved truly. I, I've checked on Google Maps. It's like 430 yards, I think, just maybe a, a thousand feet more or less over a town line. And all of a sudden I had access to this unbelievable public school system with AP programs and guidance counselors. And I was, you know, again, that same precocious nerdy self. I was in a peer mentoring program and I sat with the superintendent on a planning committee for our high school and blah, 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 while I watched my classmates go towards a very different experience in seventh grade and then eighth and on through high school. And so as I launched off to Harvard, thanks to these guidance counselors and AP programs, their outcomes were very different. And so this was my kind of early visceral experience that talent is really distributed equally through the population. My my classmates were incredible human beings, but opportunity is not. So anyway, I can I can pause there and talk more about my adult life a little bit if it's of interest, but I think that was that really is the seed that kind of got me on this path of knowing that I wanted my career to somehow address this problem of distributing opportunity more equally. Super helpful context. So one thing that I love to do is I love to pivot, jump, skip, go forward, go backwards. I'm going to skip all the way forward. Now cool. tell us about what you're involved in. You have a B Corp, most of us know a C Corp, but what is a B Corp? What is your mission? Uh, what is the impact that you're trying to accomplish? Yeah. So I'm. it's been this really cool year of kind of dawning the third decade of my professional life, right? I, I'm celebrating a 20-year reunion from college in a few months and a 10-year uh, reunion from business school and entering this third decade. So a few months ago, that was like really traumatic and fuzzy and complicated and like frustrating because I didn't realize I was in that transition. But now that I see where I am, it's really cool. And so I'm glad you asked. So right now, I have gotten really clear that what I care about is making work fairer and healthier for all human beings on the planet, because I think when we do that, we get toward justice and equity. And so I, I look, it's it's a very similar version of that 12-year-old purpose, right? But I've come at it from quite different ways over the past 20 years. And now what I'm doing is very much in that B Corp space that you mentioned. And essentially, a B Corp is a for-profit, for-purpose company. Um, But rather than just being that in name, it actually is something that's externally audited. There's a not-for-profit organization called um, B Lab, and they have set out this really pretty thoughtful and rigorous and comprehensive set of standards. They have five different areas that they uh, look at. That includes the governance of your company, um, the way your company deals with customers, the way your company deals with your your, uh, employees or workers, fourth, your community involvement, and finally, your impact on the environment. And so they look at all these things. It's like a 240-point 
questionnaire, uh, if I recall correctly. Wow. And you have to, yeah, it's really, you know, it's really rigorous. It's really in depth. You have to provide data to back up your answers. Um, and then you have to get a, a score over an 80 out of a total 160 of, of those questions um, to become a certified B Corp. And so so it's really robust. And, and then every three years they come back and they check on you and they say, you know, how's it going? How's this all doing? So it's really powerful because it's not just about a company saying, you know, we stand for all human lives and then going on their way selling sneakers or whatever they might sell. It, it really gets into the weeds of your company to see what negative impacts you're having, frankly, is about 80% of the measure, but then also where are the positive impacts that you're contributing. Um, and it's getting more and more popular. I mean, the bulk of B Corps are still smaller companies, but they're also household names like Patagonia or Seventh Generation, buy your toilet paper from them, or Ben and Jerry's, you know, follow up on on them with the munchies whenever you need that. Or, you know, there there are plenty of very household names that um, any of us could switch our our day-to-day purchasing to and align our money with our values in that way. So no, this is incredible. I mean, I, I the, one of my biggest questions was always like, I think the auditing of it because like, you know, I've I've yeah. sat on the boards of a ton of charities and like, you know, you, and even especially like the fiscal sponsor world where you're like, ah, mm. like it's borderline, mm. like, you, yeah, exactly, where you're like, mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, right, and how the fiscal sponsor world works where you're like, I need this, but it's kind of funneling money, and it, you know, I, I mean, it, it's you know, doing research on like, you know, when I, I had this grant fund, like we were trying to find fiscal sponsors where like they weren't overpaying, you know, their executives that were, it was founded by, you know, CPAs that know a bunch of these tax loopholes. So like, I guess one of my questions for you would be, and I, I, I love like where this, like, I love where your story started, like in terms of like equitable access to education and resources. Like I had a very similar experience. I grew up in Westchester, but we weren't in like the rich part of Westchester and like we didn't uh-huh. have enough money yeah. for clay and like extra like if I wanted to take any type of advanced classes I you, all the kids that ended up at the Harvards and the Yales their parents paid to have them go to local colleges like we didn't have AP uh. classes we didn't have access to any of that stuff so you know yeah. you really do start to see like wow like as I'm applying to these schools like I this wasn't offered where I went to school and my parents didn't know enough to ask, you know, to ask or to think totally. to send me to college while I was in high school to get, you know, to catch me up right. to that to that level. So that being said, I was really curious when I was listening to your journey. You know, I I know it is kind of a hot a hot button like buzzword to say like we're a social impact, socially responsible corporation. Like, what are there companies that can switch into B corps? Like, how do you do you have this conversation in different sectors where you know you're able to like maybe kind of sway things into a certain way? Or do you find that like a company has to kind of start off from an impact standpoint, you know, at at the very start? Yeah, no, it's a great question there. So, you know, of course, there certainly are a lot of companies and an increasing number of companies, which is so exciting to me because I just think generationally we're going in the right direction, right? And when you look at the rate of death in the Fortune 500 right now, it's pretty quick turnover. So, um, so many of the companies that are being founded today with this profit and purpose mentality baked in, as we call it, right from the beginning, presumably, hopefully, will be the Fortune 500 of, you know, 2035 or however long it'll take. Um, That said, there are some unbelievably inspiring stories of companies uh, 
becoming B Corps later on in their evolution, including like Danone, right? Or Danon, as some Americans pronounce it, but that like massive yogurt company, as we primarily know it, turns out they, you know, they do a lot else as well. It's a massive European conglomerate. Mm. But a friend and mentor of mine, Lorna Davis, was the CEO of Danone North America. So I don't know exactly. We're probably talking one to two billion of turnover at that point. Um, And she stewarded the full B Corp certification of that entity. And since then, Emmanuel Faber, the global CEO, who unfortunately was squeezed out, and that's a whole nother story if we really want to get into the sordid politics of B Corps, uh, which might be worth it. Um, But he then followed up to bring the entire global footprint to B Corp certification. Um, And gosh, candidly, I am not sure where they're at. Last time I checked, I think they were something like half to two thirds of the global uh, corporation. I'm not sure that they ever got to 100%. Um, But, you know, I mean, I say these, you know, 200 questions and these 160 points, it was a little bit of a, you know, head twisting exercise for me and my like 10 person services firm, right? So imagine what they're dealing with, with a massive global supply chain, producing food, producing children's nutritional supplements, bottled water, right? I mean, the complexity is just massive, but they did it. Um, So I think it's really important to your point about the audit is so important, you know, having that external validation. Um, I, I think I always want to get in there. It's also not perfect. And so I, I caution people against, you know, we have this like reverence for data, you know, and of course it matters and it's important and let's look at the numbers. Um, and when you're talking about saving lives or distributing educational opportunity, the data is only part of the story, right? Or, or the quantitative data, which is what we tend to overvalue. And so I always share with people the experience of certifying as a B Corp, right? And they asked us, like one, one of the questions, as it should be, um, is around employees, right? And employee engagement. And so the question was like, are your employees engaged? Which I don't know, like... Wow. Do you guys know, like, do you have a thermometer that you can just like give your, you know? So, I mean, I don't know, Natalie, you remember, I think we were a pretty darn engaged team. So like we, yeah. you know, we do some surveys, we did a survey, turns out we had like a, I don't know, 9.3 net promoter of our 15 folks at the time. And boom, I put that we were engaged, <laughs> right? <laughs> but there are things like that, or, you know, when they asked about some of our like carbon output data, I'm like, Hey, Yael, like, did you turn on your light this morning? <laughs> you know, that was our carbon. I mean, it's just some of these things. And, and you can imagine the opposite case for Danone, right? Like, how are they possibly accurately counting all of their offices, all of their plants, to say nothing of their upstream suppliers who should absolutely count as part of their footprint? So anyhow, I think the, the audit and the guideline and the thought leadership that B-Lab provides is absolutely essential and brilliant and powerful And we have not cracked the case on really measuring and understanding this, partially because we undervalue qualitative information and human stories, and partially because it's probably just too massive to count. And I think it's the Einstein quote, right, that not everything that matters can be measured and vice versa. This is super informative stuff. I'm my head is blowing up. It's about to explode. <laughs> um, wow! Thank you, thank you for that. It's, it's so jam packed with info. So 
I'm going to move from Danone back to your company, SoCap. Tell me, what are the, the functional lines or the lines of revenues that you guys are measuring within your company? And what do you actually do for your clients? Yeah. Um, so we, there's two main buckets, let's call it maybe a third that will break out, but the first one that we do, and I'll start with this cause it's how Natalie and I engaged, um, is that we recruit place, develop and manage or mentor rather, um, diverse and purpose grown talent. Super fun area of work right now. You know, I mean, gosh, we started that work in 2013 and it's just, you know, blown up since then in terms of the types of folks who are really wanting their careers to be a force for good in the world and the types of companies that are conscious about um, the power of that talent, right? Coming from different backgrounds, whether it's demographically or academically um, or thinking styles or, you know, all of those differences. And then though, who are clear about wanting to be purpose-driven and somewhere on the journey of clarifying their purpose, right? I, I do believe that that's a lifelong journey. And so it's not that you have to hire folks who have a purpose statement at the top of their resume, but you have to hire for, or you, you should hire folks if you're looking for creativity and collaboration and retention who are on the journey of self-awareness, right? Who am I? What am I good at? And what do I care about? So if I'm hearing this right, are you all actually going out there headhunting and then providing a developmental model for these essentially. resources? Wow. Yeah, essentially. How fun it's, is that? Um, it's really fun. It's really, really fun. We we do it in fellowships. So we start with the candidate, not with the role, if that makes sense. Probably makes it a little harder for us. <laughs> But hey, that's what I'm here for. Um, and so we we recruit people to then participate in fellowships where they get to do this development of their own purpose and then implement that in a project basis, which sometimes turns into full-time work. But we, we suggest that kind of try before you buy on both sides. And so the fellow gets to try out a project, the employer gets to see that fellow's work, and then should they you know be a match, then fabulous. They know that it's really low risk and they carry on. What a really interesting way to do it. I mean, it makes sense. Like, I mean, I'm I'm from the entertainment industry, so like, try before you buy is is taken to the mm -hmm. far extreme in pretty much everything. Like, yeah. you pretty much are completing a product right. before it's purchased. But um, but that's I mean, so have you found like like in terms of like because I again I think an entry point for me, like I you know I I have a, I I really identify with a lot of I think a lot of what you shared in terms of like, I'm always thinking like, how do I have the most impact with my time? Right. And how do I mm. enter a scenario and leverage my network to maybe infiltrate places where, you know, people haven't realized what their resources are. And if we connect some dots, you know, we'll make it. <laughs> we suddenly just a little click here and there and everyone's kind of benefiting, you know, you know, in terms of the charities totally. that work with different, you know, people don't look, sometimes they don't think about it. So, you know, when you're, when you're um, integrating, you know, these, you know, the, the new cohort of talent, like, are you specifically then kind of lending them into spaces that are pre like pre-existing in terms of wanting like that purpose and impact? Or are you also able to use these candidates to kind of seed maybe companies that haven't entirely mm. thought of things from that perspective? Yeah, really? Yes. <laughs> I mean, so one of the frameworks in my book that has emerged over these 10 years of work is the spectrum of impact. And so the point there is that every single friggin' organization on this planet can and, and should, if we want to achieve the justice and equity that I talked about earlier, have a positive impact, right? And so that includes 
bagel shops, as well as investment banks, right? The whole kit and caboodle. And then specifically, the the spectrum of impact is this notion of all the sectors, right? So you have the government and public sector. We have this fabulous partnership with the National Park Service in that world. Um, Then, you know, we talk about the not-for-profit world, which, Jess, it sounds like you know deeply um, and, and is certainly part of the puzzle, despite certainly challenges to be resolved with plenty organizations there and the sector in general. (laughs) Then with, you know, kind of social enterprises and B Corps and with very, you know, traditional large corporations. So our clients, you know, again, have included National Park Service as well as Goodwill, fabulous, huge national nonprofit, um, some really awesome startups, including the one that Natalie's worked with when she was with us. Um, And then, uh, and then, you know, Campbell Soup Company, right? And so it really is all of the above, whether they're kind of working side by side with a founder to bake in that commitment to profit and purpose, or whether it's, you know, an uphill battle, candidly, at Campbell Soup Company to really embed shared value from a position of a little bit of weakness sitting over in the foundation and trying to shout over into the business. So it really is all of the above. Now, to get to where you are today, Mm -hmm. I would imagine that it's been both a fantastic ride as well (laughs) as one where you've had to lose some skin on your knee from falling down. Stephen, it has been pure rainbows and unicorns. Just easy. Mostly I eat bonbons and it's just a delight. Of course. Of course. (laughs) Tell us about that. You know, tell us about all the, the dirty, dark secrets of propelling oneself from the beginning of your interest into where you are now. What are the major obstacles? What are some experiences that you might want to share? And then also maybe tell us about some positive trends that you're seeing um, Mm. in the industry as well that can give uh, some of our younger listeners some um, more bullish, optimistic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think the the first kind of theme here is being early to something, right? And on one hand, it's amazing. Like that's how a lot of fabulous companies that we know now as having been, you know, a winner take all in a market started. They were early and that's great. But we also know a lot of stories where the earliest players actually died, right? So like, sorry, MySpace. (laughs) That's too bad. Great idea. Didn't work. Sorry, Palm and Blackberry, you know, RIP. Um, And so I think that that has been a struggle, you know, I mean, look, even just the last few years, honestly, um, the first few months of COVID, apart from being horrified at the inequity with which the suffering was being distributed through our population and through the world, you know, look, I'm going to tell you, there was a little part of me celebrating because I was like, okay, all these corporate execs are being brought to their friggin' knees because they are somewhat susceptible as well, or their grandparents are, their parents, you know, sure. even if not as much as if they were underemployed or black or brown or, you know, other things. But great. This is the, you know, kind of come to your knees moment that a lot of people require to get in touch with purpose and the importance of leaving a positive legacy. And so I was like, hurrah, we've arrived, right? Like all of this that I've been talking about for eight years and a lot of other smart people have been talking about for decades, even before that is going to be a thing like, hurrah, here we go. Right. And look, it hasn't, you know, I mean, goodness gracious, there has been some awakening and some reckoning over these last few years. And thank goodness. And I I do remain still very bullish about it. But 
I'm talking about like the whole global economy, right? That I want to change. So oh, yeah. this is not like a racing yacht that's just going to spin around and head the other way all of a sudden. There's 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 a there's some time to to make the changes. Um, and so I think, but in the meantime, here I am trying to pay myself a salary or my team of 10 or my team of one at, at various points, you know? And so being absolutely on the cutting edge doesn't always pay well. Um, so that's one thing that has definitely been and, and continues to be honestly a challenge of, am I early and smart and I should just keep talking about this or should I like pack it in and do something else, you know, lean into my leadership coaching with horses that I'm now apprenticing to do for the next 20 years and, and wake back up when business for good is, is really a thing and it can be my bread and butter. So um, being early is, is just a double-edged sword. Look, I, I don't, I don't encourage anybody who is kind of an early futuristic thinker to not be that because it's a strength in, in a bunch of ways. I just encourage you to also be really conscious of the, the shadow side, you know, and what does that mean for how you function in organizations and how you get yourself paid and, and all of that. Um, so that's one thing. Um, and then the second, of course, is just this notion of value and money and capital and financial capital versus in, uh, human capital and social capital. And it's, you know, it's just so ironic and meta that I have spent my career thinking about financial capital versus human capital and my own and other people's and investing and, you know, all of that, because I have struggled to make this profitable, Right, I'm I'm in the process of winding down inspiring capital um, to as the phoenix rises from the ashes, create a bunch of new things that absolutely carry the mission forward in different ways. Um, but because I couldn't make it right, and I am letting down some investors who put money in to grow it, and we were not able to turn that around. And look, there are myriad operational things that I could have done better. Um, you know, it's it's the whole range of internal and external factors and timing and all of that. Um, but I, you know, the irony is not lost on me that I'm like profit and purpose can coexist and they have to. And yet here I am with this purpose-driven company that hasn't been able to make a go of it. So um, yeah, being early, really challenging, money, really challenging. And then I think the third that I would add is, is having chosen a fairly lone wolf approach. And look, I've had unfriggin' believable teammates over the years, um, but it has been a bit more in uh, sort of an employee way. I, I've been a sole founder this whole time. Um, and again, in retrospect, you know, everything is, is 2020. I don't regret that. And I am clear that as I begin this next, next decade, I want to be working with partners. And whether that's formal partners in a company or a more regular board of advisors for me and my companies or otherwise, um, I, I undervalued the importance of that kind of small but consistent group of folks to help you stay motivated, first of all, maybe, but also, of course, to complement you, to grow you, to challenge you, and, and just to to share beers and, and tears with at the end of the day. So lots more skinned needs where that comes from, but those are some themes. First of all, I just wanted to say, like, I just love your authenticity and your genuine answer to this. Um, you know, for us, like with Unlikely Journey, I think like, I know for me, like a big goal 
Um, and I don't know if you've listened to some of our other podcasts, but you know, you, you have to, if you don't share the struggles and you don't, you don't share things you've tried that have or haven't worked, like we all try to be fairly vulnerable um, in this space because that's how mm. you learn. Right. And you accomplish great things. And most people then pat you on the back and, you know, put you up in this high space and say, wow, you must have all the answers all the time. And like, you might've <laughs> failed at 50 things before. So I just wanted to just acknowledge you in the space and say, thank you for, you know, being willing to like share, you know, some of the pitfalls recently with you. Um, I do like, and this is maybe like my, where my idealism runs with like your idealism. <laughs> I, I do think this new space <laughs> that we're moving into, like I, I firmly believe that if you can find a way to incentivize people, like ideally people want to do good things because people are good. And I, I believe that, but I do think there's ways to incentivize yep. people in a larger scale. Um, this is, this would start an entirely new topic, but I've been deep diving into web three and DAOs and this whole mm. concept of community structure for building things. And I'm, you wouldn't, you'd be surprised, like building a business in that space is so different because people are willing to help each other in a way that, you know, mm. these traditional models that we're used to, like you raise capital, you hire people, like there's a different, interaction between employers and employees than there is in these some of these DAO systems that are being used to create and tap to like for these other networks to do things that are remarkable so I don't I, mm. I think maybe you've been an early adopter but I do think there's an emergent space with web3 um, I'm a huge advocate for it where like you might find what you've like this breadth of knowledge that you've gathered in this space with this different ideology of how to approach getting things done, there mm. might be something really magical for you in that. Yeah, no, here, here. I mean, that's a great shout. And, and, and look, I mean, I'm, I'm an evolution, not revolution girl. Like we're doing some work right now with JM Smuckers, right? Like, did you guys have Smuckers jam on your PB and J's as kids? I, yes, I have course. that in my refrigerator right now. <laughs> good, good. Keep buying it. They're really good. They're really good people. I mean, so so that you know, we have this placement plus thing that I talked about. The whole other line of business and and place I spend my time is on leadership development, and we do that everywhere. I mean, I I, I love. I'm fascinated and a total neophyte at Web three, but Jess, I, I'm gonna. That's inspiring to dig into. But in the meantime, we've got you know we've done work with Amex and Smucker and you know these companies, and they I completely agree. They are good people. Like they do not wake up in the morning wanting to be misogynists who burn more carbon than they need to burn. I promise you. But here we are, right? And the metric of success is a bigger SUV and a fancy title and, and buying your kids, you know, cram courses so that they get into a fancy college and, you know, Photoshopping in them into a new sport if they didn't do it on their own. Like it's crazy the system that we've built. Um, and and not to set individuals free of responsibility, but it is a system and that's really powerful. So exactly right about the incentives. Um, and and just I think what these last two years have done is crack people open. And so what I'm seeing in every corner that will have me at least, which is a little bit of a self-selecting group of corners, but it includes all of these different places of startups and investment firms and Fortune 500 and nonprofits and foundations. And there's this famine after decades to be real and to think about other humans and to do work in a way that feels good to our bodies and our minds and our hearts and to let that happen for other people. So um, I, I am I am deeply positive about it. Um, I just am also impatient and I'm not sure it's going to happen quite on my schedule. So I'm working on that. <laughs> 
And speaking of equity, I am going to give you your time back. So I'm going to say thank you so much on the behalf of Natalie, Kalea Robinson, Jess Furman, myself, Stephen Kwong. Nell, it's been a fantastic time listening to you. We wish you the best in your journey. If there's anything that we can do to support that, please let us know. And if you're thinking about headhunting three people to be on your next board, I think you have three yes. right here talking to you. <laughs> Just uh, throwing a little, a little shameless yeah. self-promotion out there. But thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. We wish you the best and we wish you to uh, stay Total in touch delight. with you as well. I'll send over All the right? PDF, the little free excerpt of the book so people can get a bit better sense if your listeners are wanting some of the uh, meat and potatoes behind these lofty ideas. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll be promoting Cheers. that. Cheers. Thank you all. Have a wonderful day. Peace. And peace. Thanks. Thank you.